Amen. Well, it's great to be in the house of the Lord with all of you this evening. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to Matthew chapter 15? That'll be the first verse we get to. I've bought a few pairs of shoes in my life, as I'm sure most of you have. And I have a pair of shoes that have a slogan on them, a motto or a saying or a statement. The shoes, what are they? Well, that doesn't matter. The other day, this dropped into my spirit. That's nice. It's on your shoe. But is it on your life? And I thought about the slogans that we, we wear. Now I'm speaking spiritually as well. I'm not just talking about, you know, the God t-shirt that says, Jesus loves you, or preaches it in that way. But if we apply it in this way tonight, the slogans that we wear, does our life, our living, line up with the slogan? Do they match? Are they one? Is it on your life? Now the slogan on the shoes, it's a Christian one. We're going to read a few verses tonight. Matthew 15, verse 8, it reads, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So as we think about it, the slogan, that's nice, it's on your shoe, but is it on your life? It might sound simple and silly tonight, but I believe the Spirit's going to speak and the Lord can go deep with this into our lives. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5, you can turn there, it's going to be on the screen as well. It reads, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And then the word says, and from such people turn away. We're going to read out of the voice. And know this, in the last days times will be hard. You see, the world will be filled with narcissistic, money-grubbing, pretentious, arrogant, and abusive people. They will rebel against their parents and they will be ungrateful, unholy, uncaring, cold-hearted, accusing, without restraint, savage, and haters of anything good. Expect them to be treacherous, reckless, swollen with self-importance, and given to loving pleasure more than they love God. Even though they may look or act like godly people, they're not. They deny his power. I tell you, stay away from the likes of these. Now, I wonder in our day, in this time in history, right now, how many people have a slogan on their shoes but not on their life? How many people say things or they might look or act 
sort of like they're Christian, like they're godly people, but as the word says, they're not. That there are those that would say they are, but really they're not. That their life doesn't line up with the confession. A Christian catchphrase or a motto, their mantra, a slogan on their shoes, yet something isn't right because it doesn't line up, it doesn't add up. You listen to what they're saying and then you observe they're living, and it doesn't line up. Isaiah 29, verse 13, it reads, These people think they can draw near to me by saying the right things, by honoring me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Saying the right thing is not all that the Lord is looking for. He's looking for us not only to say the right thing, but to live the right thing. And we can't get caught up right now in this time in history with the trend that is say the right thing and it's okay. Because the word has not changed. The word still calls us to not only say the right thing, but to live the right thing. And the word is very clear saying that these may look and act like godly people, but they're not. And it actually says they deny his power. They're actually denying the power of the gospel. They're denying the power of God. The message reads, the master said these people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their hearts aren't in it. Say the right thing at the right time, Maybe to appease conscience, whatever it is. But their life, their living, doesn't line up. You see, the Lord desires, and not only desires, but deserves more than lip service or shoe service. The Lord is looking for more from us, from those that are His those that are in the kingdom, those that are his sons and daughters. And the world needs more than lip service and shoe service. It's not enough to just exit the doors and preach one thing and do another, to say one thing and act in a different manner. Our lives are on display A quote, if lips and life do not agree, the testimony will not amount to much. A.W. Tozer said these words, I think that most Christians would be better pleased if the Lord did not inquire into their personal affairs too closely. They want him to save them, to keep them happy, and to take them off to heaven at last, but not to be too inquisitive about their conduct or services. Don't go too deep. Save me, keep me happy, and take me to heaven. But the Lord desires a deep work in our lives. Slogans, but a disagreeing life. 
Billy Graham said this. I don't even know why I'm sharing this, but I remembered it today. A real Christian is a person who can give his pet parrot to the town gossip. Now, maybe the Lord might use that somewhere in this message. A real Christian is a person that can give their pet parrot to the town gossip. It's an authentic person. It's a real, genuine believer. Can the Lord use a slogan on your shoe if it's not on your life? Yes. Can the devil use a slogan on your shoe if it's not on your life? Yes. Romans 1, verses 22 to 24 in the J.B. Phillips, it says, Behind a facade of wisdom... They became just fools, fools who would exchange the glory of the eternal God for an imitation image of a mortal man or of creatures that run or fly or crawl. They gave up God, and therefore God gave them up to be the playthings of their own foul desires and dishonoring their own bodies. Luke chapter chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, the messenger reads, By this time the crowd... Unwieldy and stepping on each other's toes, numbered into the thousands, but Jesus' primary concern was his disciples. He said to them, watch yourselves carefully so you do not get contaminated with Pharisee yeast, Pharisee phonies. You can't keep your true self hidden forever. Before long, you'll be exposed. You can't hide behind a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, the mask will slip and your true face will be known. You can't whisper one thing in private and preach the opposite in public. The day's coming when those whispers will be repeated all over town. So I just say tonight, it's nice that it's on your shoe, but is it on your life? 2 Timothy 3.5 reads, Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. The KJV reads, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So let's just look at this tonight for a moment. Having a form, that is a mere form, a semblance, it's all it is. But denying is to deny or to deny someone, to deny oneself, not to accept, to reject, to refuse something offered. So having a form of godliness, but denying, and we know what the word is saying, they're denying, they're denying the power of God. They're actually denying God. And the power speaks of strength, ability, power for performing miracles, moral power and excellence of soul, the power and influence which belongs to riches and wealth, power and resources arising from numbers, power consisting in or resting upon armies, forces, hosts. A slogan on your shoe, but not on your life. What does that speak of? It speaks of a life. It speaks of a person that is denying the power of the gospel. It speaks of one that is actually denying the gospel, its power, its influence, its control. The Passion Translation reads, they may pretend to have respect for God, but in reality they want nothing to do with God's power. They pretend to have respect for the man upstairs. 
for the church, for Jesus. For the Word. But they want nothing to do with God's power. Now, coupled with this verse is a strong caution. 2 Timothy 3, 5. They may pretend to have respect for God, but in reality they want nothing to do with God's power. Listen to what it says. Stay away from people like these. The message reads, they'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes they're animals. Stay clear of these people. Now those are strong words. Stay away from people like these. Stay clear of these people. So what do we do with this cautioning? Where do we go from here? Because the Word says it. Do we ignore it? Do we fiddle with it? Do we tweak it? Do we alter it? Do we change it? Do we adjust it to fit culture and current age? Do we rework it? Do we correct it? Must have been translated wrong. Do we mess with it because we can't overcome our own emotions? Or because of earthly attachment? Do we not finish reading the whole verse because we can't handle what comes before the period? Charles Spurgeon said, My dear brethren, do not try and make the gospel tasteful to carnal minds. Hide not the offense of the cross, lest you make it of none effect. The angels, or sorry, the angles and corners of the gospel are at strength. To pair them off is to deprive it of power. Toning down is not the increase of strength, but the death of it. We don't want a form of godliness and deny the power. I don't want to go to a church that has a form of godliness and denies the power of the gospel. We don't want to tweak it and bring it down to the point where, wow, it's pretty much the death of it. You see, there's something far deeper at work here, something spiritual that we perhaps are unaware of. Why is there this pull to remain close to these rather than distant, those that are living this kind of life, having a form of godliness but denying the power. Why is there this pull in all of us to remain close to these? Why is there this draw to steer towards these rather than steer clear of these? Now, the Lord is wise, and He knows how to keep those that are His. He knows how to protect us. He knows how to keep us on the straight and narrow. This is why the cautioning exists, and this is why the command exists. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 to 13. It says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. 
But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an adulterer or reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Wow. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. That's in the New Testament. It says Corinthians. See, God's not only trying to protect us, he's trying to protect his church. He actually cares about his kingdom more than we might think he does. And so these things exist so to care for the kingdom and protect it. Otherwise, throw all the rules aside and let's just give them whatever kingdom we can come up with on our own. I wonder what it would look like. See, any king cares for his kingdom. Any good king. We might not totally understand and totally know what to do with verses like this, but God puts them in the Word for a reason, and we just got to trust them and walk in accordance with them. The message reads, I wrote you in my earlier letter that you shouldn't make yourselves at home among the sexually promiscuous. I didn't mean that you should have nothing to do at all with outsiders of that sort or with crooks, whether blue or white collar or with spiritual phonies for that matter. You'd have to leave the world entirely to do that. But I'm saying that you shouldn't act as if everything is just fine when a friend who claims to be a Christian is promiscuous or crooked, is flip with God or rude to friends, gets drunk or becomes greedy and predatory. You can't just go along with this treating it as acceptable behavior. I'm not responsible for what the outsiders do, but don't we have some responsibility for those within our community of believers? God decides on the outsiders, but we need to decide when our brothers and sisters are out of line and, if necessary, clean house. God can use righteous judgment to save a person, to get the slogan from the shoes to the life, but it's when the line is clearly defined. I want to ask this tonight. How are we helping the gospel and helping the brother or sister that has the slogan on their shoes and not on their life if we cozy up to them and excuse their willful folly? How are we helping them? How are we helping the kingdom? How, how are we helping the community? I mean, you think of your own family. How would you be helping your family if you just cozied up to them and accepted it? See, God is wise. Again, he's protecting us. He's protecting the church. He's protecting his kingdom. You know, there are other people that could be affected because we simply accept bad behavior. And so the Lord is saying here, he's calling us. Well, 
He's calling us to what his word says. If we cozy up to them and excuse their willful folly, are we not abetting hypocrisy and backing falseness? I don't want to be involved in that. (laughs) Now, the Bible instructs us to look at ourselves. We might have the slogan on our shoes, but is it on our life, the outflow of our life? Is it on and in all things? Now, it's easy to look at others and go, yeah, it doesn't line up. But the Bible also calls us to look at ourselves. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 to 5, it says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? I don't even know how you can look at anybody when you've got a plank in your eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is here in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's a powerful portion of Scripture. Again, New Testament. And so we're called to investigate our own selves as well and judge our own selves and take a look and deal with, with ourselves, with the Lord. Now, people are smarter than we think. Maybe we think the only smart people on the face of the planet are Christians. And in, in one way, that is true. In the ultimate way, that's true. But people are smarter than we think. What do I mean by that? Well, they can see past the slogan on our shoes to the reality of who we are, of what we are about. At our job, they can see it. They can see past it and see what we're all about. They know if we're phony. Even outsiders and those that don't know the Lord, you know, Believe it or not, there still exists in this deluded world a definition of what a Christian should act like. There is still this thought, this idea of what a Christian should act like. Like I've talked to people and they're shocked. They're those that aren't saved. They can't believe that a Christian wouldn't go to church. They just thought if you were a Christian, you went to church. They just, they don't get it. Or they know that Christians aren't supposed to watch certain movies because you're just not you're not allowed, right? Well, it's not just about being not allowed. Well, we got to go deeper in the conversation to get to the heart of the matter. But there is this idea that still exists in this deluded world, the definition of what a Christian should act like. Romans 2, verses 21 to 25 You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? Listen to this, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. As it is written, 
For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. The J.B. Phillips New Testament reads, Don't you know that the very name of God is cursed among the Gentiles because of the behavior of the Jews? There is, you know, a verse of Scripture to that effect. The Passion Translation, For your actions seem to fulfill what is written. God's precious name is cursed among the nations because of you. And I simply want to say tonight, let this not be said of us. Let this not be true of us. Let's make sure the slogan isn't just on our shoes, but it's on our life. Let's make sure we are actually living it. Let's make sure that the wristband we're wearing that says love came or whatever, we've got a lot of wristbands floating around here now, and people grab them. Let's make sure that we're living it, that it's just not a part of our life, just some motto, just some mantra, just some slogan, but let's make sure that we're actually living it. I trust you can receive this tonight. I know it's dealing with a few areas. I just pray for every person here that heaven forbid that the name of God would be cursed or blasphemed because of our actions. It's one thing if they do it on their own. But I pray that the kingdom of God would never be spoken bad about because of our actions. The church of Jesus Christ would never be spoken bad about because of our actions. Let's have the worship team return tonight. You know, a slogan on your runners may make us feel better or somehow appease conscience. I mean, I guess in a way we're honoring the Lord, so we think. But again, it's have the form of godliness and denying the power. I want to encourage us tonight to have the form of godliness and the power. To have the form of godliness and the outflow. Let the slogans on our life be who we are and let them be real. Let's actually live them, not just flaunt them. Let them be who we are, not who we aren't. I trust we can receive this tonight. Let's stand. Just going to pray while the team finds their way. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you care for each one of us. You care for your church and you care for your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, before Before we judge this word tonight, I pray that we would let your spirit work in us. I pray that there are, if there are areas amiss in our own walk, Lord, that you'd you'd help us. You'd show us, Lord. God, if we've been wayward and we're not, we're not living according to how we should be, that simply have a form of godliness and denying the power. Lord, there's forgiveness. There's grace and mercy. And I pray that we'd be those tonight that would turn to you. Lord, and surrender everything, that we'd no longer deny you, Lord, or deny the gospel the power. But that good news that's living inside of us would affect us. It would change us, Lord, completely. We thank you tonight for the caution in your word, Lord, and the charge in your word to move forward.
in godliness and all things pertaining to life. I pray that our lives would honor you and glorify you. And Lord, that your name, God, would even be revered because of our walk. That your name would be honored because of our walk. That your name would be blessed because of our walk. God, that the church would be respected because of how we act and how we live. That Christianity would be respected because of the fruit of our lives. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just lift this up, and then we'll close in a moment here.